Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Wide Receiver Strategy Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and joining me, as always, the one, the only, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, recording on Wednesday here. Training camp is absolutely alive and well. Football <laughs> is in the air. I'm not sure if there's another sport even going on at the moment because I can't keep hearing more and more about the one training camp storyline after another. How are you enjoying it, man? Like, uh, part of me is annoyed by it, but it, it's it's so much football. Like, how can you not kind of love it at the same time? Well, dude, we still love it, right? Because it is football. Um, football's in the air. Like, literally, there are footballs in the air <laughs> being thrown <laughs> to receivers for NFL teams. Get very excited about it. But to your point, like, not necessarily, you know, annoying, but like trying to decipher through all of it, you know, and determining what matters, what doesn't matter. We're very early still, you know, so certain stories we need to react to, right, with our ranks. And there's other stories I'm more like monitoring. So every year when it first kicks off, we get like this huge like bolus, right, of all this information at one time because everybody's so excited. And like even just random fans are at camps like tweeting out stuff like it's official news and people are retweeting stuff. And you're trying to figure out like, wait, 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 wait. Ramondre Stevenson is not taking over the backfield. This came from some dude with 600 followers and he's not like he doesn't work for a paper. He doesn't work for anyone. Like he just threw it out there and we're like all running. So, you know, that kind of stuff is annoying because you got to constantly run down. Like, is this a legit source? Is it not? And honestly, that's where like the beat camp, uh, you know, sorry, what's the. I feel bad now. The Twitter account, I got to pull it back up. The NFL Beat Reporters Twitter, oh, the, Twitter account. Yeah, I want to give the official yeah, one because he is freaking awesome and I love him. And earlier this week, I made a comment about Bill's camp, you know, about how my timeline was blowing up with like basically everyone was going to be amazing. And he came back and he said, I feel personally offended. And I was like, no, 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 you know, we love you. Um, but it's at 32, number three, number two, beat, B-E-A-T, writers, W-R-I-T-E-R-S. I know you folks can all spell. I don't need to spell it out to you, but they're at 32 beat writers. So anyway, like he chased it down actually and said, time out, folks, like tap the brakes on this, this Simon Charles guy. Yeah. So that kind of stuff is, is kind of annoying because we got to make sure that we're, we're getting all the right stuff, but it usually it chills out a little bit, right? Over the next two to three days. So I kind of look at it like, you know, early Christmas morning, like all of a sudden everybody ex- explodes, everybody's opening all their present presents. And then you really get into the groove of Christmas day and you enjoy your time with your family, you know, and getting to hang out and, you know, actually look at all the cool stuff like that the kids <laughs> got and like, let them beat me at video games. Like that's the most fun part. So like, I like it after we get past these first few days, but at the same time, like the initial excitement, like you can't, you can't help it. Especially when we, when we've been working up to this point all year. I was able to get a uh, Falcons beat writer to confirm that Auden Tate's the early front runner for training camp MVP. <laughs> I that that I was trying to get Roto World to report on it. Nothing yet. My personal favorite storyline so far. It's our boy Irv Smith, Dwayne. Irv Smith says he got a butterfly tattoo on his neck to quote unquote signify that it's a new beginning. But that's not all. He also got a tattoo of the Hulk on his left hand this offseason because he plans to smash on the field this year. Like, is that not a tight end one alpha? <laughs> You got to move them up, move them up a tier. Hey, one thing, you know, I've talked about this before and I'm going to be doing this article. I'm actually already working on it. Um, It will come out on Friday, like the top storylines we're covering. And I'm finding that like, I'm going to have to like eventually like cut these down because I'm have like two to three for every team. I'm trying to make it the most important one, but like, dude, we just have a lot of backfield competitions. We've got a lot of stuff going on with a lot of teams, but anyway, like I wrote an article a while back, like for Matt Waldman over Matt with an RSP because you know I did some projection work for him and I shared my process and I got a lot of positive feedback. It was really cool and was interacting with people. And one of the big questions I would get is like, okay, well, how do you react to training camp news? And I'd be 
I would wonder if you kind of have a process that you use like I do and the way I think about bucketing information. Like, so for example, if I hear a coach tell me, um, you know, Hey, Auden Tate, you know, going to be, uh, you know, he's going to be involved in our offense. Well, like no crap. Like he plays offense. Like I'm looking for context, like, because to a coach, like when a coach says something like that, they're not thinking about fantasy football. They're not thinking really what people are trying to decipher here. If this guy, you know, is going to have a 25% target share, right? Like that kind of involved. What he means is like, he could literally be out there for 12 plays a game in a special package. So it's like, I'm always trying to weed through like, most of what I see, honestly, on Twitter, and I follow a lot of the beat reporters, um, I follow a lot of the aggregators, I would say 80% of it is complete noise. There's about 20%. Maybe maybe even 90%. If we're being I honest. think you're right. Maybe 90%. But I think, you know, my thought process is I'm looking for very specific things based on a lot of the research that we've already done. Want to be open to new information, right? And, and changing, you know, thoughts. But just wonder if you have a general strategy like that you share with people that where, where you make sure because it, you can really get caught up into this overreaction stuff. I will say the thing I love at this time of year is buying the, the micro dips on players and avoiding like the micro ups, like because little bitty storylines that don't really matter will move a player's ADP for like a week. Right. Yeah. Like Michael Thomas, we need to pay attention to the dude is nobody knew he would be ready for day. That's one that is an injury update, which firmly yeah. falls in the 10%. I'd say those are the most important things that we can actually get a hold of right now. The coaches, they're freaking built to say the same damn three things about every single player the whole time. All the beat reporters really are not allowed to talk a lot about the death chart situation. We do see some instances of them doing it, but that's why we have, you know, also limited highlights. That's another thing that we can't exactly be holding our hat on. Dwayne, we love Saquon Barkley, but if we never saw the video of Saquon Barkley making the one-handed catch today, doesn't change the way we feel about him. Exactly. So that's just, all. It's, I love it though because it's a reminder to people like what is capability. It's set. football. It's, it's fun. It's a one-handed catch. Yeah, because I had fun. somebody. Yeah, yeah. See, we're doing the one-handed catch drills. I'm like, no. Like, I, I get what you're saying. Like, because I did retweet one thing, but my point just being is like, folks, just don't. I feel like people have forgotten how good Barkley is and like just how special of an athlete he is. And it's just like, dude, this this guy's receiving profile is through the roof. Like, which to your point, we already knew. We're already projecting him that way. It's just kind of visual confirmation for people to see. It doesn't matter. When you mentioned Saquon Barkley, it, it doesn't really matter, Ian. He's going to be hurt all season. I don't know if you knew this. The most valuable thing we're going to get over the next five weeks is first team preseason snaps. We were all over them last year. We'll be all over them again this year. Like, that's what it comes down to. Like, who is actually working with the starters and who's not? Who's getting the veteran rest alongside starters? And who's not? Because everything else is, you know, forcing us to read between the lines. What they actually go out there and do on the field, I think, will ultimately give us the most actionable information ahead of week one. Like, even, like, Dwayne, let's say Ramondre Stevenson is now the starting running back with the Patriots. What if this season, though, it's Stevenson, Damian Harris, and Pierre Strong serving as a three-way early down committee, and then they have, you know, Ty Montgomery or a healthy James White on pass downs. Now Stevenson, yeah, he's a starting running back, but it could even be a worse situation. And, you know, out of one side of their mouth, everyone's going, oh, Stevenson's getting the first team reps. On the other side, they're cursing the reality that apparently Matt Patricia is the one calling plays for this offense. So, again, it's just a lot of and things. And I think, I think yeah. you have to be really careful with – those kind of reports anyway, because you have to understand folks like, and you know, Ian, like you play football in practice, coaches do things very intentional just because they're playing a player with the ones doesn't mean they're the one. And this is everybody, the time everybody and gets, everybody gets 
a lot of players get reps with the ones. When it's you start when you start practice in training camp, that's exactly what happens. You usually have even the third and fourth string getting reps with the ones. It's only when you start preparing for other opponents that you start using those backups on the scout team basically instead. And look, I, I was that, that's how we did it at D3 University of Chicago. I'm not pretending like I have insight hey, to Ian, exactly. Still, still more than what most people, you know, including me. Yes, that's a level yeah, I, I never reached. So, and again, like we do, uh, Elliot Shore Parks uh, last year had that awesome practice breakdown where it was like a live scrimmage and he had the first team snap count rates. Like that stuff is absolutely awesome. Just be really careful about the other things because this is a situation where. We don't have equal information coming out about every single player. So there's a lot of opportunities to wait, you know, these kind of random tidbits way more than we should when other players could be doing the same stuff. We're just not necessarily hearing about it because that's how this goes. So Dwayne, we're going to be back here on Friday going through all the news, a lot of the pup stuff, and just really taking a second to soak in everything that's happened this week. But today going to again, focus on wide receiver optimal strategy you have this lovely article on pff.com before i turn it over to you i do just want to quickly list off some of the wide receivers on the pup list so we can keep that in mind as we are going through it don't worry we're gonna have plenty of conversation on the julio goblin michael thomas news once we get to that section of the article slash podcast so cardinals marquise brown currently dealing with a hamstring injury uh with the browns david bell currently on the pup list denver kj hamler yeah come back from the acl also that hip jameson williams actually on the end FI list with the Lions, Packers, both Christian Watson and Sammy Watkins on the pup list. My God, is that Romeo Dobbs music? Chiefs, Justin Ross. I think Ross. it might be. I think it might be. <laughs> Chiefs, Justin Ross, unfortunately done for the season. That's, I think, some of the worst, yeah, some of the worst bad. victory laps on, on fantasy Twitter so far have been uh, that. No, no, people shouldn't have been drafting Justin Ross. Like, I understand that. But it's not it's, a victory lap you take. Come on, folks. Come on, guys. Saints, Michael Thomas. Was on the pup list. Now he's already off again. Just huge news for Michael Thomas. Nothing but a positive, and we will get to his now highly elevated ranking soon. Giants, Sterling Shepard with the Achilles on the pup list, and Buccaneers, Chris Goblin not on the pup list to start camp. Absolute madness. So just wanted to get those out of the way. And of course, one Julio Jones did sign with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, Dwayne, with all of that, let's talk about your general approach to drafting wide receivers, because as we've said a couple times, man, each draft is its own unique dynamic organism. How are we approaching wide receivers? Living organism. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, man. You're going to get it together. You got to get it right. I was going to actually stop. If if you didn't use that at the beginning, I was actually going to stop you and say, Hey, can you please give the correct (laughs) intro? Um, and I know we say about that and, you know, joking, but at the end of the day, what is that telling everybody? Like, let's stay nimble folks. Let's stay adaptive. Um, each year where the value lies and drafts is different based on positions. Is it at wide receiver? Is it at running back? Is it at quarterback? Is it everywhere? Is it just kind of spread out? That's what we mean. Every year is different, but then every draft is different just on the base on the way it's going. So I believe the uh, high stakes draft that we did or mid stakes draft we did over at FFPC, um, the football guys players championship. Is that up for folks now, Ian? Yes. People so, were able to check that up Tuesday night. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. It's a example. great example though. Ended up uh, going kind of anchor RB when really going into it, Dwayne, we were talking about getting two or three running backs early. Wasn't the way the draft went. Well, yeah, we talked about to start the draft, like folks should go listen to it because you hear our plan. We're like, here's what we think we want to do based on the way we know the drafts fall. Gets to us. Jamar Chase is there at 10. That's easy. Anyone listening can say, yeah, duh, I'm going to take Jamar Chase. Mm -hmm. So you do it, right? But coming back around, Stefan Diggs was also there. 
Okay. He's also not available. And we're playing in a big national tournament. We've got to win our league. But if we win our league, we're in a three week point race for 500K. And so immediately, like in that kind of format, we're looking at ADP. We're looking at, wow, there's not very many builds that have Jamar Chase and Stefan Diggs because usually Chase goes at six. So you, got, you would have to get Diggs to fall all the way back to the middle of the second round, typically, to have a chance at getting Diggs. And so we thought, you know, let's just let it, let's let it go. But the other thing we mentioned was, you know, this James Robinson news, again, many news cycles, it could push Travis Etienne back down the board. And we're already projecting, our third round projection on Etienne basically assumed that James Robinson is going to have a role, yeah. right? And, and we were going to probably move ETN up from there if we found out that James Robinson was not going to have a role. Um, and guess what? There's still a chance that James Robinson doesn't have a role. <laughs> um, but right now we know he's at least healthy. He's going to play. So it's based on his passing down work. But, but anyway, the bottom line being flexible and not feeling that even though the strategy says optimal is you want one receiver, one running back, the way that the draft fell, we went receiver, receiver. But we were also thinking ahead to what could happen. And if ETN wasn't there, we even talked about it. If ETN's not there, we may have to take Brees Hall. And are we okay with that? Like, and those are the conversations you're having with yourself. So those are the examples of why you want to be ready to be flexible. Um, and in that particular draft, you guys can go check it out. People just kept hammering running backs. We had a very unique situation where team one took like, what was it, Ian, 10 running backs in a row? 10 or 11. Not, 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 there were, he took some tight ends as well. Um, but it pushed all the backs when he's turning from the one spot back, 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 like it really put pressure on the rest of the draft room. And so we honestly decided we still got value on Kareem Hunt, but we just decided like the way they pushed the board, we would keep taking the value on the receivers. And we got a two round discount on Drake London as the wide receiver five, two round discount on Contreras Tony as the wide receiver six. And we made a decision that that team would be built to win live or die on the way the receivers played. But then we also made a decision to have a strong quarterback and know that really running back depth was our only issue. So receivers look good. Our tight ends look good. Our quarterbacks look good. You made the great call on Deshaun Watson, but at the end of the day, the way the draft played out, we formulated a plan. What's the best way to maximize the chances of this team winning? How can we play into the strengths? How do we minimize weaknesses? How do we take advantage of, you know, the moves that other, you know, um, drafters are making, you know, and they're hurting us in certain ways. So how do, how do we not play into that? How do we not allow like the way the draft is going to dictate like what this team looks like? How do we pivot? And typically there is a pivot, especially in a flexible format like that, but that all ties in. So if you folks haven't listened to that and you're reading these articles, you're listening to this pod, like, honestly, that's a great, um, draft to go back and listen to put it on two X. Like it's an hour and 45 <laughs> minutes, put it on two X or watch it on YouTube. We've got our draft. Ian's got the draft board up. We've got our tiers up. You can actually see the way we draft, but folding all this information together really gives you the best idea about these strategy articles and how they come together. So on wide receiver, like I want to take a quick zoom out on and, and real quick, couple of notes. So this is based on 12 team PPR. I'm using fantasy pros, average ADP. And this was as of last Friday when I wrote it. So a couple of these things will be moving around a little bit and I'll continue to update these articles, try to update, update them at least maybe every week, every other week, the big things I'll try to catch each week. I've got kind of a checklist that I work on, work on on Fridays. Um, but if you hear us say early position, that means picks one to four in a 12-team league. It means middle position means pick five to eight. Late position means picks nine to 12. The starting lineup, you know, that we're setting this up for is the ESPN format, which is it's PPR, one quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, one tight end, and one flex. Remember, three wide receiver leagues, 
that dictates, you know, you, you've got a, de- a supply and demand thing that immediately starts there versus a league that only requires two receivers. And so just you have to kind of adapt this a little bit based on the way your league's set up. But this is this is a pretty typical format that most people play in. So that's why I chose it. But wide receiver, if you if you zoom out, we did this for the running backs. We looked at it. And if you guys remember running backs, we said, look, really strong in the first two rounds some nice solid options in round three. In fact, you could start with three running backs if you wanted with the right, if the right archetypes fall to you, you don't want to just force it for no reason and pass up really good receivers, but it's an option this year. The same thing is true for receivers. The receivers are good enough. Like you could go wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver in the first three rounds. And I do think that like, you know, running back really a cliff drop hits in tier in, in round four, I don't think there's a cliff, and you give me your thoughts here, Ian, on wide receiver in rounds three and four, but I do think you get, you do reach a little bit of a drop-off, and you kind of have this pretty big tier uh, of all these wide receivers that have some sort of question mark around them, right? So you could talk about Cortland Sutton. We really like the offense. We really like Russell Wilson. Has a lot of target competition. Has never truly been an elite receiver, but he's been hurt, right? He's got a question. Deontay Johnson. Okay, DK Metcalf, they go in those ranges, really good talents, but we've got team questions. We've got quarterback questions. You could argue, Dwayne, you could argue, Dwayne, after the Chargers, who are pretty much consensually going wide receiver 11, wide receiver 12 now, we'll give A.J. Brown the benefit of the doubt. But even then, new quarterback, Devontae Smith, more target competition than he's really ever had to deal with in his career. Questions, yeah, in round three, too. Yeah, after that, man, I think for Michael Pittman, my wide receiver 14, like all the way to Rashad Bateman, who I have wide receiver 28 right now, just got pushed down a little bit with uh, Chris Goblin and Michael Thomas moving up the ranks. But like all of these guys, man, you could argue it's one big tier. And yes, I have Pittman, you know, 14 spots ahead of Bateman. But more and more in these drafts, man, you talked about how running quickly running back dries up. I am more comfortable than ever taking the Travis Etienne, even the Cam Akers, and letting whatever one of these wide receivers just fall into round five, and then we'll get our quarterback round six. Yeah, and I think the thing just, you know, uh, you know, I think that sets up really well. Just quick reminder, folks. So, and this can help you if you're thinking, if you're listening to this pod and you're thinking, well, I play in a half PPR, right? I play in a standard league. So just, just a quick reminder. So when you look at points per game um, in a PPR format, across running back, receiver, and tight end. So think of this almost like as, oh, what if it was my flex position? Just overall scoring for positions outside of, you know, quarterback. Top three finishes over the last 10 years, 61% of them in a PPR belong to running backs. 65% of the top five finishers in a season belong to running backs. So the high, high ceiling outcomes every year, even though we do get more fragility because running backs are more likely to get hurt than receivers, they still belong to running backs where that starts to level off in a PPR league is once you get to the top 10 players, 49% are running backs, 47% wide receivers, 4% are tight end. Basically the freaking Travis Kelsey role. <laughs> Travis Kelsey is basically the person in that sample, Travis Kelsey, the four percenter. And then once you get to the top 25, listen in PPR. Now all of a sudden it's 41% of them are running backs. 53% are wide receivers. And once you get to the top 50, I'll stop here. Only 37% of the top 50 players every year are running backs. 53% are wide receivers. But the point being there, the high-end outcomes still belong to the backs that are explosive. They can catch passes. They can stay on the field every down. Those tip, It typically does not go to early down bangers. So you can kind of 
So you, can, you can set them aside. Don't feel like you need to stack two or three players that, that you know, meet that profile. They can still come through with big touchdowns, but you want the pass receiving backs. I'm going to skip half PPR and just jump to the other extreme really quick. If you're in a standard league, meaning no points per reception, 94% of the top three finishers have been running backs. So if you're drafting in a standard format and you're shooting for ceilings, like basically the first round should be mostly backs. It really just should be like, I went back and adjusted my ranks even more for standard. Cause I'm like, you know, I've been a little, I'm probably a tad soft, like on the way I'm treating it. Um, if you look at the top five finishers, 82% running backs, 18% wide receiver. If you look at the top 10, 75% running back, you have to get all the way, even inside the top 50 running back is still first at 52% to 42% for the points that get scored in a standard league. Um, so if you're over in standard, just remember that, make the adjustments. We are talking PPR here today. That puts wide receivers much more into the conversation in the first, second, and third round. So again, you can start wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. It is it is strong enough to do that. Um, remember the running backs start getting tricky in the fourth round, like you mentioned, Ian. But round, threes and, round three and four, um, we've got a lot of great you know talent profiles, but we have some, some questions around quarterbacks offensive environment, quality, maybe you got a lot of competition right on your roster, but but still good players that you're really going to like as your wide receiver too. If they are your wide receiver one and you happen to hit on three great backs and you've got a great back in your flex, you're going to be fine with a wide receiver two as your wide receiver one. That's the thing you got to remember. Everything's a trade-off. So it's really tough to get three elite wide uh, running backs, right? And then come back and be like, oh, I still got a wide receiver one. Right. So if you go into a draft, you're like, I have to have a wide receiver one, like you're immediately limiting yourself. What you want is the most points with your first three picks. <laughs> That's really what you want. You want you want simple game, upside. simple game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. This is like money ball here. <laughs> Round five. Um, it's receiver rich. Honestly, if you look over at ESPN right now, I think there are a ton of wide receiver twos and wide receiver. And we'll, we'll discuss them in a minute, but round five wide receiver two and wide receiver three option. I think many of them Ian, are very similar to the options we were taking in rounds three, maybe mid round. Yeah. Round three through round four, and you're getting two round discount, you know, on these players. Um, I think they're very similar archetypes, very similar profiles. This is where tiers and archetyping players really comes in handy um, because it helps you see like, okay, well, great. I could take Cortland Sutton here, but like how different is Rashad Bateman? And you just mentioned like, those were two of the players you might've even mentioned. Yeah. And you talked about the long tier. And that's what this is saying. Wide receiver five, I mean, round five, you're still getting guys that are basically in that same tier and you're getting them after round three and round four. So I really love the wide receiver twos and threes in round five. Round six, there is a group of receivers with paths to fantasy points and upside. Um, most of them do have questions. So that makes it honestly a real, and we talked about it at running back. It's kind of the dead zone once you get to round six. Um, I know people will make an argument for like J.K. Dobbins, but at the same time, like, yeah, we like Dobbins' talent profile, but like, how healthy is he going to be? Is it still going to be a committee? Lamar Jackson is still going to take part of the carry. So even if the Ravens are run heavy again, like it just kind of, it kind of limits the upside for Dobbins unless like he just catches like this perfect lightning in a bottle. And I feel like there's enough questions that it's still the time at wide receiver and running back in round six to consider pivoting to the elite quarterback. And, and right now, and this is yeah. best ball ranking. So a little bit different in terms of ADP, but, uh, Right, going right around Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts in that range. Juju Schuster, Darno Mooney, Amon Ross St. Brown, Amari Cooper, Adam Thielen, Elijah Moore. Again, not bad wide. We're still talking about top thirty, top thirty-five wide receivers here, but far more questions in that tier that ended just before that. Yeah, so it's it's an easy spot to make a pivot, a pivot, right? There's enough. We like Jerry Judy, like, and 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 there could be a really nice 
you know, uh, he could come through with a nice performance, like in his range of outcomes. Like it's certainly there. Former first round picks got a good quarterback. He's been dinged up. Like, look, there's a lot of things to like about Jerry Judy, but we don't have questions about Kyler Murray. <laughs> we don't have questions about dual threat quarterbacks that could win you your league in the sixth and seventh rounds. Lamar Jackson goes usually in the fifth round. You've got, uh, you know, Kyler going in the fifth and sixth round. You've got Jalen Hurts going in like the sixth and seventh rounds. And then you got Trey Lance, you know, going a little after that. So round seven to 11 offer a lot of value on, you know, some there's there's some key players like that we're going to, you know, talk about in round seven through 11 uh, that should go. And they go and these are I'm going to point we'll point out some players that go rounds two to three rounds sooner over in high stakes leagues. Right. Where we know that a lot of the sharper drafters have already been drafting. Uh, and so obviously there's a little bit of an edge there because they've been drafting for longer, putting their money down. And then in rounds 12 and beyond, you know, there's still receivers to target, but it dips off pretty quickly. So by the time you get to round 12, you don't want to be in a situation if you've got to start three receivers that you only have two. There really shouldn't be a scenario where that's the case, but, but we'll detail those things more. But that's just a quick zoom out. So let's talk about the early rounds. Starting off with the early rounds, just again, listing the pure ADP first, not exactly, you know, where we're taking these guys. So first round ADP wide receivers, Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Devontae Adams, and Stefan Diggs. Second round ADP receivers, Debo Samuel, CeeDee Lamb, Tyreek Hill, and Mike Evans. So again, Dwayne, there, there's great players here. Like we all have these guys ranked like top 12, even if you're a quote unquote hater, like you're going to be hard pressed to bump them much further down. I would expect Mike Evans to maybe start flirting with the third round based on the good news up from I think Chris he needs Goblin. To. Yeah. I think he needs to go to the third round. I mean, right. if someone wants to take him at the end of the second, I think it's still okay. But just remember at this last, at this time last year, Mike Evans was a fourth round pick in fantasy. Um, and he paid off the ADP on the fourth round pick, especially with the way the season ended for him. He was still a wide receiver one. I think he's a high end wide receiver two to a low end wide receiver one now. Um, I have whereas, a 23rd overall, 23rd overall okay. wide receiver nine. Yeah, let's see. I just updated my rankings, um, you know, as well. And that was one of the ones that, um, you know, that I looked at. I've got him at 25 overall in my okay. new rank. So, so we're both, we're both really close. So, I mean, early second, early third round, right, is still in the range for Michael Thomas. So let's say you have, and we've already talked about optimal strategy. We've mentioned like ultimately, like if you can grab one running back and one receiver, but again, be flexible. There are backup strategies. You can start running back, running back. If, if you can get the archetypes that we talk about, you guys can go back and check out the running back episode for that. But we can also start receiver, receiver. Um, you could start with a receiver and a tight end or a running back and a tight end. Mark Andrews is in play. We'll talk more about him, you know, in the tight end episode later this week. But from early position, so you've got that, you know, one through four pick. Cup and Jefferson, you know, they're the top two receivers off the board. Um, and most drafts, you know, occasionally you'll see it, you know, Jefferson may go first. Sometimes you'll see Jamar Chase sneak up there. Um, but I, I'm, I'm fine. If Christian McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor are gone, I think in those four picks, one of your two picks needs to be Justin Jefferson or it needs to be Cooper Cup. And you, you can pick which two that you want to make the, that you want to take. I I'm fine. Honestly, if you want to mix in Jamar Chase, I'm, I'm fine. I, I prefer Cup you know, and I prefer Jefferson though, over those two. I just um, think we have such a higher probability of Jefferson and cup clearing 150 targets like chase. I, I think you could make a good argument. He's the best wide receiver of those trio of those three, but man, like we saw it last year, like Cooper cup, as amazing as he was, like he, a big reason he put up those numbers because he had more targets than everyone. And we talk about the highest talents earning those type of targets, but you know what cup, 
Allen Robinson and the offense, not quite the same as T Higgins. And we have already kind of factored in just the heightened volume inside of those offenses. So nothing against Jamar Chase, still the consensus wide receiver three. I think Dwayne, you could argue Stefan Diggs up to wide receiver three for some of I those agree. similar reasons. Uh, either way, we'll talk about him in a second. <laughs> yeah. So either, either way, we're talking about just complete studs in that early range where, yeah, should not be expecting them to get too far past the early part of round two. And that's, but uh, do you Stephon agree? Diggs. Like, I, I think, if you were to mix in another back, the name is Eckler. I typically will go ahead and take Jefferson or Cup, though, at pick um, three and pick four. Are you pretty much approaching the same way, or do you ever mix in uh, another back? No, those are my big four, and I think okay. there's arguably a drop-off. after. I'm, I'm usually going Jamar Chase at overall player five after that. I think um, go, so when you start going to those other – running backs I, look we're still talking about the third and on best running backs out there so there aren't that big of holes but uh for me i had those top three receivers over everyone other than henry and cmc the argument for chase you know um you know at, at middle position right so because now let's talk middle position well, real quick like some of the combos you could start with i had somebody ask me about this in my dms i was like that's a really good idea just to kind of like paint the picture for people so if you go r- running back receiver you you're talking McCaffrey and Evans, McCaffrey and Debo, JT, right, and Debo, JT and, you know, Tyreek Hill goes in that range. If you go running back, running back, we're talking McCaffrey, Barkley, you go wide receiver, then running back, we're talking about Cooper Cup, and then coming back with an Aaron Jones or a Saquon Barkley. Um, I think you could argue if if you're like, you really want to be balanced and early on, like you can just kind of choose because, you know, you don't have enough info in your draft to know like, oh, there's this huge value that fell to me. Unless CMC sitting in your lap at like pick four, right? <laughs> just take him. But let's assume you're sitting at pick four. You go ahead and take the receiver. I, I think, Ian, I'm more comfortable, honestly, with the running backs that fall back to the end of the second round than the receivers where we get a few questions around Debo, right? We get a few questions around Tyreek Hill. Like I feel better about Barkley who slides back, Aaron Jones, who falls back, Leonard Fournette who falls back. So I think like, if you're thinking about it from that aspect, like I love when I'm in pick three or four, starting with the receiver and then coming back and and grabbing um, one of those backs that we just talked about. That's kind of, We've talked about this comparison before. I don't see much of a difference between Aaron Jones and Austin Eckler's projection for this year. So just give me the wide receiver in round one over someone like Eckler that I think, you know, we can see a difference between someone like Jamar Chase far easier uh, versus, you know, the Debo Samuels, the Tyree kills just because of the quarterback change as a pure raw talent. Like I'm not putting those dudes down, but man, like just we can get Aaron Jones, DeAndre Swift, even Javante Williams at the end. I don't know that they have that worse of a chance of finishing top five as someone like Eckler. Yeah, I, I agree. So I, I like that start. If, if you do start receiver, receiver, right, you're talking like Justin Jefferson and Debo, one of these players. You could you could come, you could go Justin Jefferson, come back with Andrews. Andrews, Mark Andrews at tight ends, typically falling in the second. Now, if you're in middle position, so um, you're in pick, you know, five through eight, um, you're going to have a good shot at Justin Jefferson. He goes at pick six a lot. He That's where he goes right now on ESPN. If you're over on underdog, you know, uh, he's typically gone by tip, you know, by pick four. But a lot of folks, you know, that are listening to this, you're going to be drafting in a league where Justin Jefferson is going to be there and you're going to be very excited about it. You know, uh, in the middle of the first round, Austin Eckler is obviously, you know, another option. And again, the, the, the strategy still hold, holds true. Like running back and a receiver is, is going to give you flexibility, but you can, you can go any way that you want here. Some of the combos you could have would be Austin Eckler and coming back with CD lamb who goes at pick 18 right now. And uh, ESPN leagues, you could go Eckler and come back with Barkley 
get your two running back start. And again, they're, they're fitting the profile pass catching backs, right? That's what we want. You know, they can give us the explosive plays Barkley. we got to see explosive playmaking come back, but at age 26, I think we feel confident about it. If you go with Justin Jefferson, uh, you know, you can come back, uh, you know, you start with a receiver, you can come back in the second round. You know, we already talked about the backs, right? You could talk about Barkley, Fournette, all those guys. So a lot of different ways to go. I love the Jefferson lamb start, Ian. I've, I've managed to get that like over on underdog, actually, I got lucky and got the Jefferson, the Jefferson Lamb start, which uh, I don't know how many of those there are. So again, lots of flexibility. Late position is really where it gets a little bit different. Um, you know, so I, Stephon Diggs is in play here at receiver. I think Devonte Adams is in is in play here. Those are both guys that are in my tier one B. Um, so my tier one B um, over. Uh, if you guys want to check it out over PFF, you can see it. You can guys go check out Ian's ranks too. But I've got. Where do you, Dwayne? Where do you draw the line at receiver before you take Travis Kelsey? Though for me, I am taking Kelsey before even Stephon Diggs. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take Diggs over Kelsey, and here's why. Diggs is younger. He plays, you know, in an offense that, you know, is just as explosive as Kansas City. It's going to throw the ball just as much as Kansas City. I like the quarterback. So all things equal, I'm going to take the younger player. And I also just think that Diggs has a higher ceiling. I think Diggs has a ceiling of 30% target share in an offense where, honestly, I don't know that we've ever seen a player get a 30% target share in an offense that throws the ball that much. Like, but it could happen for Diggs. So I feel like it could the happen with Kelsey case, though, too. It could, but the problem for me with Kelsey is we are talking about age 33. And yes, yeah. tight ends do seem to age better, but I think there's just enough more risk with Kelsey at the age. Um, especially the way tight ends take these hits low. Now he's managed to always stay healthy. Like dude, the tight ends that stay healthy in this league with all the hits they take to their <laughs> knees and shins and stuff, like hat tip, like you know how nimble these guys have to be to avoid those things. Like when it's that's why like, um apparently Larry Fitzgerald used to offer to pay like safeties to go high at like he said he told safeties, and I, I believe I heard this on a broadcast. Larry would tell safeties to go high at him and he would pay their fines if they got like a targeting foul it. or something because he didn't want them going low and taking out his freaking knee and putting him on the sideline for six yeah. months. Yeah, that makes sense. Dude, you know the hits we've seen Gronk take. Um, I'm trying to remember the Jet receiver. Like that was one of the most gruesome, the Jet tight end uh, several years back. Um, not, Kellen. Oh, uh, not, not Winslow. Uh, Kellen Dayton. Nah, I can't remember his name, but he took a horrible one in preseason that I saw, but just. Yeah, safety. Look, when you're trying to tackle a dude that's 265 pounds, <laughs> you're going to go with their knees, right? Yeah. You know, receivers like, hey, I'm going to come in, get the highlight reel, blow somebody up. So, but from this position, um, yeah, I would go Diggs over Kelsey. But after that, I think if you want to go Kelsey over Adams, like the age gap's getting close enough, it's fine. If you want to go with Adams, I'm also okay with that. But I think Kelsey is firmly in the conversation at at the late position, um, you know, from the picks 10, 11, from 9, 10, 11, and 12. Some of the combos you could come away with would be in at running back, right? Dalvin Cook is available, you know, at this range. You could go with Cook and Lamb. You could go Dalvin Cook and come back with Aaron Jones if you want to go running back, running back. You could go Devontae Adams and come back with DeAndre Swift, right? Another pass catching back with explosive playmaking ability. You could go with Cook, and sometimes Kelsey falls back around the corner, right? Especially if you're picking at the 12 spot, you know, you're gonna you're gonna know what's there. Um, Diggs and Lamb is a favorite. <laughs> I love Diggs and Lamb. You, we got lucky with Chase Diggs, right? It doesn't happen yeah. very often. But Diggs Lamb, you're getting two receivers in our top six. I think you have Lamb inside your top six as well. And so yeah. um, Diggs and Lamb are both in our top. I want to say I have Diggs at four and Lamb at five. Same. I think 
do you okay yeah so you're if, if you got, got a chance to do that like that's a good thing and then you know you could go digs kelsey there's a lot of ways you could go but like in these early rounds like my centerpieces are justin jefferson jamar chase and cd lamb a receiver like obviously look folks we love cooper cup you got to take him as an early pick I, I throw jefferson out here because sometimes he falls to the middle of the first i've seen jefferson fall towards the back end of the first at times he's the ones that mo- he he and chase are the two in the first round that are the most likely um to you're looking up oh i get to take jeff justin jefferson at pick seven like it can happen jamar chase you can get him at pick eight, nine, ten. Like sometimes he goes at six, but there's a range on these two guys. So I put them on here because if they're there in the late first round or if they're there in the middle of the first round, especially Jefferson, like you need to take them. And then Lamb, I put him on the list because he's always there in the second round. Somewhere between the first pick in the second round and like the sixth pick in the second round, I've gotten C.D. Lamb as late as pick 11 in the second round. So, I mean, and again, that's not going to be all the time, but he's almost always there in the first six picks of the second round. And these are all ascending players. If you go check out, you know, my tier articles, like they check all the boxes. These guys are young. These guys have hit on all the metrics we want them to hit on. Lamb has a little more in question than Chase and Jefferson. But I think a lot of it has been due to they just had such a rotation in Dallas of the receivers. It's going to be hard for CeeDee Lamb to not be out there for 90% of the routes this year. So even if he doesn't all of a sudden take a huge step forward in target share, like just being on the field for 20, 20% more of the routes is immediately going to, he's already been a top 24 receiver two times in his, and in his he's, two years. He's 23 years old. Like, okay, Jefferson and Chase were able to do all this at like 21, 22. That's incredible. Just because CD didn't, doesn't like, isn't this big indictment on him. And I, you know, I, I again, this is one of those things. Let where, me, let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, Cause I, this is one people will often find themselves, you know, facing a question you'll face. I put Lamb in here again because of the range you get him in the second round. Um, so in the second round, like let's say if you did start with Eckler and you're coming back and you have your choice between Lamb and Fournette, but you started with a running back, what are you doing? I'm still going CD. I think it's a. I have I CD in the either you one and I a, have CD. Yeah. I think you and I have CD both like in our top 15 overall. I have him like yeah. in our top 10. <laughs> I'm 12. Like I, I don't Nathan I don't and Kevin, it's... Nathan Yonke and Kevin Cole don't agree with us. So uh, they've definitely got him lower. So, I mean, and, and that's fair. Um, no, but I, I, think... I, I think Fournette's pretty clearly in the, in the second tier of running backs. Like I think it's a pretty clear tier cut. So what if you start Dalvin with Cook. Jamar chase and you come back in the second round and your choice is lamb or Fournette? I'm still taking Lamb. I just think at this point in the draft, I'm not looking to I your agree. point. I'm taking the better value because there's there's more than enough time in rounds three and four. And just really up until I think round, to your point, round seven and a, through 11 really give us a chance to enough value at every position to make up for it. So in these early rounds of the draft, I'm not going to, you know, big time reach on these guys. And I just have Lamb ranked higher uh, to begin with. And let's be honest, in later rounds, folks, it's easier to hit on the backs because volume is such a huge part for backs. Volume is important for everyone in fantasy, but for running backs, you can hit on players and you can work the waiver wire later for guys that just get roles that we didn't anticipate because of injuries. You know, well, I mean, there's so- just a group of, there's a group of workhorse running backs like James Connor, like possibly ETN. And I think Cam yeah, you're Akers. talking third round now, like the one no, but that's my point. Like no, but that round. that's my point. I think the, there's third and fourth round running backs that have workloads that you could argue are first round or second round caliber. So just give me the great wide receiver and I'll take this running back that falls. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. I'm with you. Um, is there a back 
that if they fell, you know, this reasonable in your mind that you would take over Lamb. And, and the reason I'm laying this out is because everybody's going to be faced with this. This is a big one. It, you're going to be faced with this decision very likely in your draft. I take Dalvin. I take Dalvin Cook over C.D. Lamb. Yeah, if he like, falls. And he's typically a late first rounder. So I, I think, yeah, then you're just saying, okay, fine. I'll take this ADP. Derrick Henry. Like, I'm taking any of the top six running backs over C.D. McCaffrey, Taylor, Henry, Eckler, Cook. So if there's a crazy probably, call, probably that's the only too. way. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only way. But you're not going to take Aaron Jones over him. You're not going to take Lenny over him. You're not going to take Saquon Barkley over him. I've done Barkley a few times. I, I'm a little higher on Barkley, you know, than you are. Um, I, I've done Barkley over Lamb a few times. Um, but again, that's that's drafting, you know, a bunch of teams. That, Barkley and Lamb is the one that's like the biggest challenge for me. I think you like Fournette a little bit more than Barkley, which I think is fair. Um, so I have mixed in Barkley a little bit, but I'll be honest, when Lamb makes it to the middle of the second round, I really don't it honestly I don't necessarily care who i started with i'm just taking it like what is what cd's floor this year like obviously anyone can get hurt before the season starts but if cd lamb plays 17 games i don't know how he finishes worse than an upside wide receiver too yeah i think his floor is probably wide receiver 18 to 15 and i actually i i I wrote about this in my tears i i did a you know a projection based on what we think dallas's offense is going to do and a range of outcomes for CD, like on a, on a percentage of routes and then a percentage of, you know, targets per route run. And like, if you put it, his median, you know, outcome is still really good. His median outcome is going to make him, you know, a high end wide receiver one, but his floor is still going to keep him to your point in the wide receiver two conversation. And honestly, there's a lot of weird things that would have to go to, to hit for that floor to be there. Um, so to finish out like these first two rounds on receivers, I also have opportunistic buys and I have that down as Tyreek Hill and Debo Samuel. Neither one of them are players, you know, that I'm fading because they're really good players. But we acknowledge that this, and you know, you mentioned earlier, maybe the questions start in the middle of the third round. This honestly is kind of where the questions start for the receivers. We love Tyreek Hill, but we've got Tua Tagovailoa. Can I, why can I say it? Ian, say Tua. It. Just Tua. <laughs> just say Tua. Tagovailoa. You, you, you get yourself Sorry. in this hole. You pronounce Albert O's yeah. last name. Like, no, just Oklahoma. stop it. <laughs> well, you made me do that last year. Like you made me own it. So I had to, it's stained into my brain, but um, Tyreek Hill, we got, you're going to have to battle with Jalen Waddle. We've got a question at quarterback and I know they have the weapons and we assume they're probably going to throw more, but this is a coordinator that comes from a run heavy scheme that wants to just be efficient. What's the best way to really protect Tua? Be efficient with a run game, you know, and then, you know, hit the deep shots down the field, hit the rack stuff in behind the linebackers off the play action. Now, I would agree they're not really I'm not crazy about their stable of backs. If you're just really wanting to pound the ball 55 percent of the time, like you probably want, you know, a better number one between the tackles than, you know, what they have with Chase Edmonds. We're not fine. Sony could carry that load. Mostert could carry it. But I think, you know, so, so I get it. Like when people say, I don't think they're going to be run heavy is what I'm saying. They're probably going to be balanced. We've talked about them, but I think there are enough questions with Hill that I don't want to reach on him. I'm not going to take him in the middle of the second round. Um, I'm willing to let him fall to the end of the second, early third round before I pull the trigger. And then the same thing with Debo for very similar reasons. We got to deal with Kittle. We got to still deal with Ayuk. It's a run and we know it's going to be a run first offense. And now Trey Lance is probably going to make it even more run heavy. And as much as we love Lance, he is a question, you know, as far as, you know, what he can do for the receivers. So any thoughts on the opportunity? I didn't make them fades because the talent profiles are too good but definitely not two, two players that I'm not reaching on. And when I get to those two names, I'm pivoting over to the backs. I'm taking Fournette. I'm taking uh, Aaron Jones. I'm taking Saquon Barkley, all the other names we named. Even Swift and full PPR, I think. I mean, look, I have 
T Higgins and Mike Evans yeah, but, actually yes. ahead of yeah, Swift goes a little earlier, but yes, he would be in the conversation. I agree. I would take Swift over those. I do Tyreek versus Debo straight up. Who do yeah, you lean you towards? I, I, I lean to Debo just because a little bit younger. We've seen him get featured in this offense already. Like Tyreek Hill is still, okay, what are they going to do with him? Um, but I think the opposite argument you could make is, well, does Tyreek Hill really have, like Brandon Ayuk is better than Mike Gusecki. Yeah. Like, so the the third target, you know, on the 49ers is tougher than the third target you're going to do. We're way more. I think, I think you can also say that, I think you probably pretty firmly say the Dolphins are going to throw the ball more than the 49ers. So maybe it should exactly. be Tyreek Hill. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe and I need to flip those two. Note. I do think, you know, when you pay, like, look, we're not worried about Devontae Adams having more targets than Renfro and Waller because of all that freaking money they just paid him. I have a similar sentiment there with Tyreek Hill being the one. And that's why I've been more willing to be closer to ADP with Tyreek Hill and kind of lower on Jalen Waddle. But he continues to fall. Like To me, Waddle and Deontay Johnson have kind of, had this similar ADP fall throughout kind of the offseason. I know a lot of you haven't been drafting now, but damn it, there's dozens of us that are. And just kind of looking at those We're two doing in it particular. For you. <laughs> when, like when the season just ended last year and both guys were coming off like borderline, on Deontay's case, I think he was a wide receiver one. Waddle was very close. Like we have this quick reaction. I think when ranks initially get made, a lot of times it's just looking at what happened directly last year. And as we get longer and longer into the offseason, we do a better job of looking yeah, more at what's going to happen next year. Exactly. So now, no, uh, yeah. Deontay, Waddle, when they were going top 12, top 15, no, I was out much closer to 20, top 24. That's where we are in. And Dwayne, that does take us. fading Debo? I'm, I'm not fading Debo, but I'm, I think the whole, I'm, like, I'm taking him at or past ADP. I don't know if there is a single player that I'm just that's I don't have a do not draft list, Dwayne. I think everyone could be drafted at the right ADP. How about that for inclusion? Well, uh, let's say when we say fade here, meaning you're most likely not going to get them because you just think ADP's off, right? Not not that you wouldn't ever have a price tag. Like every every player has, to your point, the right price where you're going to take them, and and that's why I'm calling these opportunistic buys, right? I have Debo. I have Debo as my 24th player overall, so that will take me out of the running for him in more drafts than not. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, you know, Debo was really awesome last year before he had to start taking over running back, you know, duties. So he was that still, is he was still awesome with that. But I mean, we talked about in our 49ers preview, I mean, his expected points at wide receiver are phenomenal. His expected points when he was playing that little hybrid role, like he had to be the most efficient rusher in the league to make that happen. And Hey, he was, and it worked out great, but it's just one of these things, man, where like when the expectation in a new, in a, with a new quarterback is that you need to be one of the best players in the league. Hey, it's Debo Samuel. We've seen him do that before. That's great. But man, that's a high bar to have to get, you know, year after year after year. Hopefully we just see him get those targets, but you know, Trey Lance, Jimmy G, I made a whole video just showing Debo the yards he picks up on pop passes on screens. Like there's a reason why we're not that worried about Trey Lance getting the passing yards. But again, Debo last year was going be, being drafted after Brandon Ayuk. Like now we're looking at yeah. this jump and Debo is like, it was really close last year in their ADPs. Hey, during the second half of the season, we did see those targets get a lot closer. Like it's not out of the realm of possibility, Dwayne, for Debo, just like by a hair to be the number three target here. I don't think it happens, but like if we we could see Kittle, I think I, there's a lot more design stuff for Debo and that protects yeah. him because they know how good he is after the catch. Only when Debo is hurt do they start really doing those things for Ayuk. So I, I think I'm I'm feel pretty safe about Debo. But to your point, like it, it could be Ayuk closer. Is, Ayuk is a good enough player. Like 
it comes down to how much better is Debo than Ayuk, right? Ayuk, you know, on a lot of teams, you know, is getting more targets than what he's getting here with Kittle and with Debo. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think overall, like you're getting a really good player with Debo that's in a quality offense. So, so the one thing you're not getting with Debo is a question of, you know, the, the scheme and who he gets to play with, with Kyle Shanahan and, and the fact that, you know, they're going to design stuff for Debo. So I think that's the positive, you know, you get. Um, so it's not like you're dealing with a situation like Deontay Johnson, right? Where I feel like, you know, there's so many more questions about what's the overall quality of the offense going to be. Um, so I think that's the reason, you know, there's the gap, you know, in, in the ADPs for the two players, but at the same time, you do have the three, uh, targets to split things up with and it's run heavy. So, yeah. Um, so right, the let's, early, let's, yeah, let's yeah, get into these early uh, mid, middle rounds as we've taken 50 minutes to get through the first two rounds. It's like receivers uh, are going to take the longest, but yeah, we'll try to speed up. It's okay. Now, I mean, in the, in the way you lay out the article, it's natural for this to be more target based moving forward. So early to middle rounds, rounds three through four, third round ADP wide receivers, Keenan Allen, AJ Brown, and T Higgins, fourth round ADP wide receivers, Deontay Johnson, Jalen Waddle, Terry McLaurin, Michael Pittman, DJ Moore, DK Metcalf. See what we were talking about earlier, guys. Like these are, this is why we're saying, you know, don't be afraid to take the running back in this range and let whoever out of this group fall because there always is one that falls. But Dwayne fifth round, ADP wide receivers, Mike Williams, round five. Yeah, like if ESPN, you ever man. see that, man, like just, you don't just get it on underdog. <laughs> don't, don't even hit draft right away. Cause I want you like to savor that moment. of getting Mike <laughs> Williams in the fifth round, like go get a bottle real quick and then hit draft. But Mike Williams, Marquise Brown, that's another late one. Although with the hamstring injury, we can maybe that's okay. write it off a little early. bit. Still way early. Brandon cooks, Cortland Sutton, Amon Ross St. Brown, Chris Goblin on the rise, Amari Cooper, six round ADP receivers, Jerry, Judy, Darno Mooney, Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen, and Gabriel Davis. Someone that could be going up a little bit higher. If you happen to be in a league with one of those truthers. So Dwayne, this is one of these situations where, again, I, I love the way you spell it out in your articles, because depending on what you did in the first two rounds should shape how active you are in the mid round wide receiver market. Yeah. So if you started with one wide receiver, in the first two rounds, we want to draft two to three more. And and middle rounds is rounds three through six. So two to three more wide receivers in this range. If you started with two receivers, and remember, this is not just looking at the value of the receivers that are available in these rounds. It's also, we're already looking forward to the value of the receivers that are going to be there in the later rounds and where things tighten up. And also where there's value at other positions like running back. So you may not necessarily want to be stuck on receivers in certain rounds because it's where we know there's a juicy group of, you know, running backs that we want to take to give us upside later in the season. So all those things are coming into play to, to really deliver, you know, kind of this prescriptive approach. Again, these are guidelines. So, I mean, maybe pre prescriptive is the, not the best word because value can change the way these things you think about these things. So always want to be flexible. But if you started with the one receiver, you're going to draft two to three. If you started with two receivers in the first two rounds, then we want to still draft one. But if the value falls right, we could still draft three more. Right. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, this isn't just three rounds. So you're not going to use all three picks on receivers. It's rounds three through six. And then if you started without a receiver in the first two rounds, we want to draft two to four. So remember, one, we're looking for two to three. Two, one to three. Four, we're looking for two to four. And so the centerpieces that I'm really looking at in these rounds, um, in kind of reference back, you know, you talked about third round. The third round centerpiece is really T. Higgins. Um, T. Higgins, look, just checks every 
every box we want for a breakout. We've got the young ascending quarterback. Yeah, he's going to have to, you know, he had the appendix surgery, but Joe Burrow should be back. They beefed up the offensive line. Yes, he has Jamar Chase and they cap each other, right? It's tough. You're not going to have two. You can't have one player. You can't have two players get 30% target shares, but really good players and good offenses can both get 25%. And there's a lot of room for Higgins. Like we saw the Bengals throw the ball more at the end of last year. So again, you're bet, you're betting on an elite young talent that's in a really good situation. And if the Bengals continue, you know, what we saw from the second half of last year, there's going to be no problem for Higgins to hit that wide receiver two, uh, you know, range for you. And I actually have him right now graded as a low end wide receiver one. I think the talent profile is that good, despite the fact that he plays with Chase. Then if you look at the fourth round, um, Michael Pittman, like Pittman, man, 24% target share in year two. Um, now you get Matt Ryan, more accurate, every level of the field with Carson Wentz. Dude, Evidently, like the uh, Colts beat, beat reporters have been starved to see a good quarterback throw the ball because like they are going nuts over Matt Ryan <laughs> right now. They're like, Matt Ryan gets the ball out so quick, so accurate. And I'm like, Jesus. What are they like, saying? What are they saying this time last year about Wentz, though? I know what they've been saying all offseason about Wentz, but my goodness. It's a good man. question. You have to go back and look. I feel like it was a bit more rocky with Wentz. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. It's look, it's just they're throwing against air right now. I just I thought it was funny because I see so much, I haven't seen this much stuff about Matt Ryan in like five years. Um, but they're comparing him to freaking Peyton. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I hear I hear you on that. Um, one uh, one so, thing with Pittman, though, because we yeah, have seen constant drumbeat uh, from their beat reporters saying that T.Y. Hilton not out of the picture. They were spot on about Julio Jones not really being an option. Maybe it takes an injury, but man, you look at this wide receiver room. Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, Paris Campbell, Ashton Doolin. Like, I wouldn't blame a lot of casuals out there for only being able to name Michael Pittman out of this group. Would he move Pittman down at all if they signed T.Y. Hilton? No. Okay. T.Y. Hilton's a not doesn't is not a factor. I agree. I, I agree. I just want to make sure. Honestly, they could have signed light. Julio. And I'm look the Julio situation. We'll talk about it in a minute. In a minute, was more of a double whammy with also you know for Evans and, and Gage because we also know that Godwin is not on the pub, right? But I, even if even if the Colts had signed Julio, like I, I wouldn't have moved. I might have moved Pittman down a little bit, but I still you know he's dude. He's just too young with this major ascending profile. I think the um, Matt Ryan boxes. Julio history would have made that a little bit more of a unique case, but I, I hear you. But there's room for two targets the there, right? You, you can have a run heavy offense and have two targets. When you have three targets and a run heavy offense, it gets tougher. So I, that would have been my thought process on that. But um, yes, yeah, definitely better that they didn't. And T.Y. Hilton does not matter. Uh, and guys and gals, <laughs> Michael Pittman goes a full round sooner than this in high stake drafts. So the high stake drafters over on FFPC, thanks Fantasy Mojo, like they're already all over this Pittman thing. Underdog, where a lot of people are sharp. They've been drafting for a while. Now again, that you must start three wide receivers and it's best ball, changes things a little bit. Pittman's a third round pick. So right now in home leagues, you're getting Pittman a full round later. I don't know that that ADP is really going to move. We'll see. I, I don't know that there's going to be a big storyline or anything that shakes that up. I think people just generally speaking kind of snooze a little bit on Michael Pittman. Um, Mike Williams would not be a centerpiece on underdog. Like I like Mike Williams. We've talked about, you know, the AFC and NFC West stuff and 56% of the games projected over 50 points, all that stuff. A lot of things to like about Mike Williams really had a huge role early last season that we could, and, and it could be due to injury that he didn't have that, you know, down the stretch. And so we know what the ceiling looks like for Mike Williams, but we've also seen him for his whole career and it hasn't been, it hasn't lived up to his draft capital. We like him, 
but on underdog, like honestly, we're probably reaching a tad taking Mike Williams in the third round, but over here in home leagues, you're getting him in the fifth round. So he's definitely, you know, a centerpiece. The chargers have the third most shootout opportunities on their schedule. Another one, Cortland Sutton is a late third round to early fourth round pick um, over in high stakes drafts or in best ball drafts. Right now you can get him in the fifth round. You got Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton, a lot of people, you know, in your, in your casual leagues, they're going to be snoozing on him just because he didn't do well last year. Um, and he was coming off of injury the year before he was hurt. So people have had two full years to really just forget about Cortland Sutton, but you don't want to. He's a man. If you can get Cortland Sutton in round five as your wide receiver three, like man, Ian, like, can you imagine Williams or Sutton as your wide receiver three? In round five, like I, I, I sure can on underdog, but this sounds great to me. Once, uh, we <laughs> We're going to go join looks. a bunch of ESPN leagues like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if you look at Marquise Brown, another one, early fourth round to mid fourth round on underdog, uh, a little later in the fourth round over on the FFPC, but still a fourth round pick. You're getting him around higher. Look, this is a young player with back to back 23% target share seasons. He's only going to be 25 years old. You did mention that he's on the NFI list with the hamstring. Um, He has battled some soft tissue stuff, you know, in the past. He's typically been able to stay on the field for the most part. You know, you'll usually end up with a game or two in the year that's kind of maddening, questionable. You don't know if he's going to play or not. That could still be the case. But still the coaching staff, you know, they they traded a first-round pick for him. Um, You know, they're raving about, you know, what his role is going to be in the offense. But the main thing is, like, this is a 25-year-old player with back-to-back 23% target share seasons. Um, and you now get to play him with Kyler Murray. Like Kyler Murray and the Cardinals are going to throw the ball more than what we saw with Lamar Jackson. I would also argue that Kyler Murray is better in every passing metric than Lamar Jackson. Not saying Lamar Jackson's a bad passer, like some people say, but I do believe Kyler Murray is a, is an upgrade. Um, then if you look at round um, the end of round five, you can get Amon Rice St. Brown. He sometimes slips into the sixth round. We've talked about him a ton this offseason, so I won't beat you know, a dead horse here, but posted that 80.0 PFF receiving grade. Here are the receivers, Ian, to do that as rookies since 2011. Odell Beckham Jr., Terry McLaurin, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, A.J. Brown, Tyreek Hill, Doug Baldwin, and Chris Godwin. Whoa. So we'll just let that all hang there for a second. (laughs) Let it marinate. Absolute centerpiece, Amon Ra St. Brown. Drafting him, get him everywhere I can. He is the player, Ian, when I get to the fifth round. If he's sitting there and Kyler's sitting there, and it's the difference of because of the way the tiers drop, I'm like, I go ahead and take St. Brown because I feel the tier at the receiver does drop right there. And the other factor being, I'll just pivot to Jalen Hurts if if Kyler Murray goes. So I will say that I would rather get St. Brown and Jalen than get Kyler and have to turn around and come back with Darnell Mooney. Like I, I think St. Brown, like, and I could be wrong. Like We like Mooney. We're going to talk about him in a second. But I'm just really... I'm just really bullish on St. Brown. Um, and then I'll, and then you can give some commentary here. I'll just mention the, the, the last one here is Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson is a huge disparity with what's going on right now on underdog and over on FFPC. It's a full two round discount. He, he was, he was a top 20 option in all scoring formats folks in 2019 to 2020, 2021. Yeah. Things tanked. It went bad. He was outside the top 75 wide receivers in all formats. However, he was battling injuries. Um, a lot of them, you know, if you go back and look at the injury reports, he ended up playing, but he was playing through injuries and then eventually he did get shut down for a period. And let's be honest, this offense was just, it was just, it wasn't operating the way it should, right? They were not playing to the, to the strengths of the quarterbacks. They weren't switching uh, the schemes when they went from, you know, Andy Dalton over to Justin Fields, not to say they weren't 
they didn't have some wrinkles, but they weren't fully unleashing what we should see from, you know, field. So it's just a scenario where now you get to play with, with Matt Stafford. It's by far the best quarterback that Allen Robinson has ever played with Cooper. Cup and they wanted him and they wanted and him. They and this wanted was, it. this was not a juju situation where it was like, ah, it's not that much money. How come no other teams were going out there seeing, you know, what was it three years, 34 million? I think I have that right. Something around those range. And we had the awesome quote uh, to the Monday morning quarterbacks, Albert Breer from Sean McVay, who said, quote unquote, I was selling my effing balls off to get this guy. <laughs> so yeah, Sean McVay obviously wants Allen Robinson in there. We were worried a little bit earlier in the offseason about the potential for this to be an offense with Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson and Odell Beckham. We still don't know what, when OBJ is going to be back or where he's going to be playing, but man, not looking like anything before November, maybe even December is much of a certainty. So it's look, he's not he's even on the only roster. 29. We're not, yeah. we're not at that 30 age 32, you know, age 31. Like, like he's in the range where a cliff can hit. Like it's, it's getting to be more probable, but he's still, he's still in a fairly safe zone. Um, so I, I'm going to lean into the fact like what he did the two seasons before. And sometimes look, sometimes we just have a bad season. You know, it happens. It doesn't mean that like, you know, this is the dip and it's the end for Robertson. It could mean that. It could mean that, but I'm going to put my trust in the Rams and getting to play in this offense. Opportunistic buys Chris Godwin. Hey, real quick on this. So just think what we just said, just to kind of recap that, like, you know, we talked about draft two to three. And, you know, if you started with two receivers and the way we laid this out, like if you go with Higgins in the third, you could then turn around and come back and skip running back in the fourth if you wanted, you know, and just say, you know, you draft a, a running back there. Or you could take Pittman in the fourth. You can easily get Williams, and it's what I like, the flexibility, in. There's multiple receivers here we really like in this range that are going across multiple rounds. They're not all in one little tight section where they go off the board. One, two, three, four, five. So it gives you a lot of flexibility if you do start running back, running back, running back, or running back, running back, wide receiver, that you can turn around and you can come back and you can easily get three of these players you can come away with three of them and it's not a super tight needle to thread. And that's a huge part of setting up your draft strategy the right way. Like I've talked to people in the past and I'll be asking, cause they'll ask me like, what should I do here? What should I do here? I'm like, Oh, well, what's your strategy? Like, what are you trying to do? What do you think you should do? What are you trying to accomplish? And they like lay out this big plan and it gets to round six and it's all based on like one player. And they're picking at the end of the round and the ADP is at the first of the round. And they're like, then I need this one dude to fall to me, you know, at the end of the sixth round. I'm like, man, like your plan sounds like it could really like all fall apart if you don't get the one player. It's a whole Um, That's what I like about this. By the way, quick update on Hollywood Brown. It, kind of interesting, man. He was put on the pup list apparently for a hamstring injury, but Cliff Kingsbury came out today and said that Hollywood actually tweaked his ankle last week while running routes. He did say he doesn't expect him to be out long, but Arizona will be cautious with him. So just continue to uh, update that. Okay, Dwayne, one of your opportunistic buys is Chris Goblin. Again, though, you wrote this kind of before we got the news that he's not even on the pup list right now. Looking and listening to what the Tampa Bay beat reporters have been saying, I'm not expecting him to be out there week one running 80, 90% of the quarterback, you know, of the routes out there on the field. But at a minimum, it seems like he has a really good chance of being active and maybe ramp back up. We saw the Giants do that with Saquon Barkley last year during the first two weeks of the year. Different position and everything. I understand that. But hey, now having Julio Jones in town, like all this talk about Julio, it didn't seem centered around him taking anyone's starting job. It was more so like, look at the wide receivers that are running around at the end of last year. They want to try to prevent that. My God, if Julio Jones is your wide receiver four, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. So to me, Dwayne, 
the bigger news from yesterday was Chris Goblin's health being this much better than we kind of expected. Because as we've said, like if Goblin and Evans, no injury concerns about either, like we would be ranking, we'd be drafting Goblin ahead of Mike Evans, especially in full PPR scoring. Man, I'm trying to be aggressive on this now. And I moved Chris Goblin up to, let's see. I think he's at 18. I have him wide receiver 19 ahead of Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson, Jalen Waddle, and those guys who, hey, at this point, the the reason why Chris Goblin is in this muddled tier is he has a red flag and it's his health. That red flag, man, we can start calling it yellow or orange even. Things are looking better for Chris Goblin. I want to be aggressive on this and getting ahead of the market because if we if it just ends up being more and more good news, man, we're just going to continue to watch this ADP disparity between him and Evans shrink and shrink as we get closer to week one. Yeah, and there's going to be a pretty quick correction here. I don't have it up in front of me, but like, for example, um, I looked yesterday at, you know, uh, Russell Gage and Mike Evans. What's happening like to their ADP just in, in the next few drafts, right? Once the news broke um, and, and Godwin did move up a little bit, but I think it's going to, to your point, continue to uh, like, it's probably going to catch more steam. So I have also moved him up. Um, I've got to update my ranks on the site, but I've updated the app already. Um, got him up to wide receiver 21, you know, so a little bit lower than you, two spots lower than you, but I agree. Like at this point, even if I know Godwin's going to be 70%, you know, the first three to four weeks, if he's that far ahead, like, what does that mean for him? Like by week 12, 13, 14, when we really need the boom, right? When we know that we're going to be in our fantasy playoffs and we want it, we want those points, we're going to get him. Godwin averaged 17.6 fantasy points per game last season. I don't think people realize that. Like it was really great. And he's playing a great role with a great quarterback, pass heavy offense. So yeah, I have him in opportunistic buys right now. But like you mentioned, I wrote this before. Um, I'll probably still leave him here just because like his ADP, I think is going to probably pretty much shoot up to where I have him. And I'm not going to get overly aggressive on him like right away because it's the first report we've gotten and all these teams handle these things different, right? Yeah. You know, so we could hear, oh, they didn't go on the pup. They don't expect him to play the first three weeks or they don't, you know, we don't know what the next piece of news is going to be. So basically I want to stay in alignment with ADP. I want to continue to take Godwin where I can, um, but I don't want to get too overly aggressive in case he suffers a setback or something like that. But I think, you know, a lot of it just depends on ADP right now. I'm going to be ahead. Um, but I think that's going to probably even out in the next week or so. And I'll be closer to, uh, really where ADP is. Um, Jerry Judy is another, hold on, one. hold on, hold on. Let's, yeah, let's finish. Yeah, let's yeah, finish. Yeah, the, yeah, let's finish the Buccaneers okay. conversation because yeah. Russell Gage. Hey, well, he's in the, he's coming up next. But I know, if you want to just hit them all now. It's fine. Yeah. Let's just stick on the Buccaneers. I have Russell Gage wide receiver 40 right now. One spot behind Chris Alave ahead of Al Lazard, Traylon Burke still. Julio got $6 million. It can make up to $8 million. That doesn't take away that the Bucks gave Gage, man, $30 million over three years. I think there's a good chance that maybe we see, like, okay, I did see a joke or two about Julio Jones being a tight end, which I did not think was funny. Like, come on, what, what, what are we doing here, man? Like, it's it's Julio freaking Jones. I, I think it was more meant, though, just taking Gronk's targets, like in that area of the field. But, yeah, I saw it. <laughs> well, yeah, Julio, you know, if you watch the film, still did some good things when he was healthy last year. Julio Jones is someone that I moved up to wide receiver 58. And, again, this was a guy going outside the top 80, having still behind Tim, ba- Tim Patrick, Jahan Dotson, and Christian Watson. Curious where you fell with them, Dwayne. So I'm projecting basically Julio to be their wide receiver for a little more action early on in the season, potentially while they're ramping up Chris Goblin. Otherwise, someone that just, I, I don't know, man, I, I could see them 
really relying on Julio more so for a handful of design sort of shots per game. I'm not sure if they feel even the need to rush him out there and make him a full-time player in the year 2022. Yeah, my thought is Julio's going to want snaps and they're going to, you know, they've already been through this with with Antonio Brown, you know. Um, so I moved Julio up to 61. I'm just a tad behind you, but I've got him as a wide receiver five. Um, and he's last night I saw three FFPC drafts. He's basically going in round 11 now. So, and that's about right. You know, if you look at the other players that are going, you know, that are in this tier, you know, you've got um, Kenny Galladay, Jalen Tolbert. Th- those are all guys that go in like round, you know, 11 to 13. So Julio is going to be in that mix. If he goes up much past that, though, I won't have really any exposure. Agreed. I dropped Russell Gage a little further than you. And maybe I overreacted like because I really do love Gage. Um I know a lot of people I saw, you know, on Twitter yesterday, well, Russell Gage was just always going to disappoint you. And and you know me, like, and maybe they're right. And maybe I'm just wrong. But when I look at Gage, I saw a different profile than what I saw. And like the, the tweets I saw, look, he's just like MVS. He's just like Lazard. It's the same thing. You guys were reaching. I thought Gage had a very different profile. Um, you know, Gage destroyed man coverage from a targets per route run perspective last year 34 percent targets per route run versus man if you look at the way that the bucks operated that's where antonio brown was huge if you look at where russell gage wins it's in that short intermediate passing game um, against man coverage against the quick hitting stuff against the blitz and so i think tom brady's still going to have a player that he can trust um you know he's also a player that even though he's finished as a wide receiver four you know in a bad offense like he's had a wide receiver two worthy pff receiving grade like last year a 76.0 so typically wide receiver twos in fantasy score on average around a 76.0 pff receiving grade gauge had that so i feel like there were some underlying indicators for gauge that gave me a little more hope than what i saw with mvs and alan lazard which didn't have those same things all that said i dropped him to 49 I feel like I probably was a little bit, and that's the, always the challenge with these things, right? Where do we fit them in? I may tap, I may, I think you're probably more accurate. Like I'm looking at it, like I still, like I'm going to take Chris Olave over him. I'm going to take Kadarius Tony. I like Kadarius Tony just because, you know, we've got this ambiguous situation where he could be the wide receiver one for the Giants and we've got this underlying profile we like. But maybe like right around Garrett Wilson, Brandon IU, Chris, you know, Chase Claypool. Maybe that's really where I probably need to fit Gage in. Right now, I've got him just below Christian Kirk by one spot. Um, so, yeah, I, I probably need to adjust it back up a little bit. But I did bump him down. Um, and that then, might be a better range. I, I don't hate that. More of a borderline wide receiver four. You're still, yeah, you're still treating your team as a low end wide receiver four. Um, you know, and, and the profile that I wrote up on him for our app, you know, I rewrote that last night before it was look, a low end wide receiver through the three that can give you wide receiver one weeks until Godwin's healthy. Well, now it's probably, and here's my challenge. Julio Jones, while we still think Russell Gage is going to play more receiving, he's going to get more receiving reps than Julio. Like I, I still feel pretty confident about that. It's at least, there's at least a chance Julio bumps him out of a job. And I think at a minimum, it's going to create a rotation because they're going to want to get Julio out there some. Like they've got to give Julio some playing time. So maybe early in the season, that's more from Chris Godwin, right? Because Julio would be great playing the big slot right now at this point in his career. We've seen the big slot really extend roles for, you know, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Heinz Ward, you know, Reggie Wayne, lots of players later in their career were able to come through in the big slot role. Um, but my challenge becomes like, what's Russell Gage's path now to really having any shot at like 80% route participation. Like he's probably going to have to give up some of that to Julio. And that, and that could mean he's like out there 65%. 
And like, even in a pass heavy offense with like the bucks, that's just, it's just enough to make me be like, okay, I still want to get exposure to Russell Gage, but at the same time, I just have to be realistic that Julio is going to have some role. And at least there's a small chance Julio bumps him out of a starting role. I think behind Claypool might be that sweet spot that uh, you mentioned there. I feel better about that situation now. All right. Back to opportunistic buys here. And yeah, let me hit those rounds. real quick. You, you go ahead and hit them. Just Jerry Judy, Darnell Mooney, Adam Thielen, Gabriel Davis, and guys that we've kind of been talking about throughout the offseason, Fades, DK Metcalf, and Amari Cooper. Dren, we were messaging a little bit before the podcast just about DK Metcalf right now going off the board over underdog fantasy as the wide receiver 25. I agree even that is pretty rich. That is where I have him ranked, but I'm not thrilled about drafting him right there. I do just wonder as we get more and more into like closer to week one and folks are just looking at the Seahawks offense, we get a couple spare highlights of Drew Locke, you know, just sailing a ball like out of the stadium, nowhere near his intended target. I just don't want DK Metcalf to start sliding past fellow number one or number twos in terrible offenses. Like I do wonder already, like why is Deontay Johnson getting the benefit of the doubt over DK Metcalf when you could argue Deontay has more target competition and probably a little bit better quarterbacks, but come on, man. Like I don't think we can definitively say that Trubisky and a rookie are going to be, but they're both bottom 10 quarterback situations. And I know we feel a lot better about the Seahawks being a bottom one potential situation, but if Metcalf continues to fall a little bit, which I think is possible, where would you kind of draw the line on wanting to start getting him? Because my God, Dwayne, we're not that far away from like DK Metcalf versus Darno Mooney being like an actual conversation. And like, that's the point where I'm really going to have to throw my hands up and just hit draft on DK Metcalf. Or do you look at that and you say, okay, this is where I'm not just not going to take a wide receiver. Yeah. It's mostly I'm, I'm pivoting away from receiver, but I, I totally get where you're coming from that. That's probably the point. You know, so I've got Metcalf. I had Metcalf at 30 and like I bumped him to 25 just because of the talent. Um, I do think there's a difference between, you know, what we could see with Trubisky and what we could see, um, you know, with, you know, Pickett versus what we've seen with Geno Smith for a long resume and what we've seen, you know, with Drew Locke. So number one with Pickett, at least there's a chance he could be good. Right. So you're saying there's a chance kind of <laughs> I thing. I don't think but- that's fair. No, I, mean, I, I do because I mean I've seen Gino enough, and I've seen you know you've so seen him I, I, in four games in the last like four years, and he was pretty good. In them. Yeah, but there's a reason he doesn't play. There's a reason he's never yeah been Russell a Wilson. Yeah, there's well, it hasn't he hasn't just been behind Russell Wilson his whole career. Like he's basically he's the had, last four Gino, years. Gino's had plenty of chances, like to become, you know, a better player than what he is. Like so, no. And when I go look at you know the PFF passing grades, like Gino, you know, he's just lower. Like he's lower than these other guys. So all I'm looking for, and I'm, I'm, you know me, I'm not just going to penalize one guy more than the other. I am basing it off data. If the day, if we think the data ends up being wrong and leading us down the wrong path, I mean, I think that's okay. Then that's one thing. But I mean, like for me with Mitch, it was better at least than the other guys, (laughs) you know, so it was at least serviceable. And we've seen Mitchell Trubisky actually support, you know, Allen Robinson in the past, like with Drew Locke, it's just been, you know, it's been tough. Like we haven't seen him really support anyone. We haven't seen Geno Smith support anyone. So still they're not that far, honestly, away from each other. And, And like I'm below consensus on both. So remember ADP is also part of the way I make sure that I anchor my rating, my rankings, because, you know, the market, you know, is typically pretty accurate. So I certainly have guys that I'm going to be higher and lower than the market on, and I'm lower than the market on both. 
I'm lower than the market on Deontay Johnson. I'm lower than the market on DK Metcalf. So I do think it's a slightly better quarterback situation, but the ADP is also, um, you know, richer on Deontay Johnson than what it is on DK Metcalf. So like right now, uh, Deontay Johnson's going as the wide receiver 15 over at FFPC. I've got him at wide receiver 20. Right now, Metcalf's going as wide receiver 19. I have him as wide receiver 25. So I essentially have them both five to six spots behind ADP. So, and again, like that's the range where I just call them a fade. But to be clear, like if all of a sudden DK Metcalf falls to you, um, you know, 12 spots past ADP, like I'm taking him in those scenarios. I mean, I had to put rules in place for what I called a fade and an opportunistic bias. So I wasn't like bouncing all over the place. So when you hear me say opportunistic buy, it's basically like what, look, Six six spots past ADP at quarterback. It's it's larger, but I I say that in the article, like as an oppor- as an opportunistic buy. Like a round is still opportunistic. Once you get over that, I'm saying that you know, basically it has to be a round or more. Like those are guys I'm calling fades, but at the right price, everyone can still be you know someone that you target. I think Metcalf, if you wanted to say he's a top ten real life wide receiver, there's he an is. argument for that. I think he he's is. a top six real life receiver. Okay, the only other wide receiver i think that you can say that for that's not going inside the top 24 fantasy wide receivers is deandre hopkins obviously because he is suspended for six games just makes you think makes you think Dwayne. but i understand definitely not going out of your way to get these guys enough red flags i just want to make sure we're not you know and look metcalf again he's just unlucky man it's the quarterbacks it's the fact that they want to run the ball even in trailing scripts it's the fact that they don't run enough plays um it, it's just everything piling up and tyler lockett's still there no fan has to get something i mean it's just maybe it's 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 a bad it's a bad combination you know of multiple factors it takes a lot to push someone like dk metcalf down like i've mentioned it before if dk metcalf played with tom brady he'd probably be a wide he'd probably be the wide receiver one in all of our ranks <laughs> like if dk metcalf played you know uh you know with josh allen He'd be the number one wide receiver, maybe in all of our ranks. And again, like let's say Stefan Diggs wasn't there. So I mean, there's a lot of factors here, but like it just, just doesn't. It he, feels he's wild in the to worst me. Intro situation possible. It feels wild to me that like if if Kirk Cousins got hurt tomorrow and Sean Mannion was the Vikings starting quarterback, would we drop Justin Jefferson from wide receiver two to wide receiver twenty six? We would drop Justin Jefferson a lot. Um, you know, it's I mean, like I think that it's, much. Man. Yeah, but I don't have all the other factors either. I don't also have to deal with the coaches. I don't have to also deal with the volume. Yeah. I don't also yeah. have to deal with the with the worst offensive line grade and PFF. Like it's, it's like it's a combination of factors. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, Justin Jefferson would move down. I mean, you you've done the great research on what the wide receiver ones look like when they have these really crappy quarterbacks, and it's just, it's just hard. It's hard for them. And I, I think I know, that, that's yeah. the right question to ask. Like, I think that's a really good question. I know I brought this up about Metcalf before, and I have him ranked wide receiver 25. Like, I'm not. I, but I think I, it's fair because I look at him every day, dude, on the list, yeah. and I think, dude, what an what an awesome player. It's, <laughs> what an awesome player. Out of so. all these wide receivers in this tier, Metcalf is the one that I'm, like, terrified of looking up in week one primetime game against the Broncos, and he's just running away from the secondary for his second chunk touchdown of the game. We're like, man, we really overthought DK freaking Metcalf here. 
Still got some more time to figure it out. Dwayne, let's not make this a two-hour pod. Let's go through the middle, late rounds, focusing mostly on your key targets. Again, this article is on pff.com where Dwayne spells out everything you need to know about the optimal draft strategy for wide receivers. Going into the middle rounds, seven through 11, you write, these five rounds are loaded with great targets across all positions. If you don't have a quarterback or tight end yet, they are also likely on your shopping list, leaving three picks between running backs and receivers. So again, it depends how many wide receivers you already have on your roster in this range. But if you still need a good amount, well, you're in luck because there are plenty of them. Dwayne, your centerpieces again for rounds seven through 11, Rashad Bateman, Hunter Renfro, DeAndre Hopkins, Russell Gage, who, yes, we've talked about it. He has now dropped off this list. Kadarius, Tony, and Sky Moore. I guess before maybe we get into those guys, though, is this where Michael Thomas fits? Or are we moving up even higher? I could argue right now, I think, Stan, this is probably where he fits, but he has the potential to go even higher. Man. He'll, would, he's Yeah, no, I think Michael Thomas is going to be going. I think he'll end up being a fifth or sixth round pick. Yeah, he, He's a seventh round pick right now. Um, so I think he's going to end up being in the bucket above the early middle rounds and the way I would treat Mike Thomas, um, you know, he's going to be, we want to con- like, we've got really good news right now. Um, like, so I, I don't know if I would make him a centerpiece yet, but it, it's going to be kind of hard not to, like I, I put out a tweet earlier, just looking like, here's the range of outcomes for Michael Thomas based on his historical um, route participation and his targets per route run. And basically I gave a low end that says Michael Thomas is a, a lesser version of, of himself. And there's way more, you know, target competition with the high end being the rest of the offense is still struggling. Alave doesn't come along and Michael Thomas is still peak Michael Thomas. Like in that scenario, like we could still see 160 targets, but I think like the median range for Thomas is 120 to 130 targets if he's healthy. And I think that's going to be really hard to fade you know, yeah. in the fifth or sixth round of drafts, especially I think the sixth round is where he's the sweet spot. Ian, like I would take Michael Thomas over Jerry Judy over Darnell Mooney. I think you could make an argument over him over Allen Robinson. I would take him over Adam Thielen and I would take him over Gabriel Davis. I think where it's a little Godwin? more tricky. Um, I have Godwin one spot ahead, but I have them next to each other. I know it's so tough because you could argue the same Julio thing about this becoming a four wide receiver rotation and that could drag down Godwin a little bit and you don't need to put Gage's film on that long to start realizing that he could start getting, you know, some of just those basically extensions of the run game. Those just quick screens at the line of scrimmage that Godwin usually lives on. Now maybe they have another guy to help take those. But we're also talking Tom Brady versus Jameis Winston. I have Michael Thomas one spot ahead for now. I'm I'm not like I'm not tweeting out there, Dwayne. I'm not you know uh, I'm not standing on it. You know, super super sure though. But I, I agree with those other guys. I, mean, dude, I got I got Thomas at wide receiver twenty two now. I've got Godwin at twenty one. I think you're what nineteen and twenty on them. I'm eighteen and nineteen. I feel like we can even jump them ahead of Waddle, Deontay, and a banged up Marquise Brown right now. I think that's potentially in the range as well. I, I still want to hear a little bit more, right? We're at the very beginning. Like, I don't yeah. want to deal with a setback. And and here's the thing. It's going to take ADP a minute to start catching up. So we have time to kind of adjust it as we go. If if the positive reports keep coming, we could give them one more little bump, you know? And I don't think we have to do it all today. Like, we've already given them. I mean, Michael Thomas and Godwin both jumped way up our ranks, like, overnight. So, um, but yeah, I think there's a scenario where you could start to think about them, you know, over those players. So, um, you know, or at least being in the same tier, right. With all those yeah. players and, and you're, you may be mixing them up or it's your preference. Yeah. So as far as the centerpieces, and so this is rounds seven through 11 in your drafts. And again, based on ESPN 
home league type ADP right now. Bateman, uh, man, goes two rounds sooner in FFPC main, main, main event drafts. So in $2,000 drafts, people are taking Rashad Bateman two rounds sooner. Hunter Renfro, look, he's going to see a career high in routes. Um, even if he's got to deal with Devontae Adams, you know, as a target cap, I get it. Um, but we've got an offense that loves to keep the slot receiver on the field. We'll use them in that Z underneath stuff, move them around in motion, even when they're using two tight ends, all that stuff. So that's a real good thing for Renfro. And then yesterday, like, or whenever it was we were on, you asked me if I could name the backup <laughs> Raider receiver, and basically we can't. So that's the other positive for Renfro. Like, he's going to have to be out there. Um, so and his talent profile already suggests that he's a wide receiver two, and you're going to buy him as a, as a low-end wide receiver three in your draft. So uh, like him a little less in half PPR, not near as strong in full PPR. Um, Russell Gage, we already talked about moving him down, so he won't be on this list. But Kadarius Tony is the next one in play. And if you look at him, um, he goes in round eight right now uh, in these other drafts. And right now you're getting Kadarius Tony in round 10 over on ESPN and leagues like that. So it's a big discount. Like, like you've heard us talk about Tony, but look, a 26% targets per route run, a 2.08 yards per route run, and a 74.4 PFF receiving grade, all top-notch as a rookie, like those put you in elite category. Now it was a limited sample size, but I think when you go watch Kadarius Tony play, you don't have to look, you don't have to watch very long to know that it's real. It's real. He's just got to stay healthy. He's got to stay out of the doghouse. but I think he could push for huge targets. The thing is with Tony Ian, I'm not that sold on Kenny Galladay at this age was never really a great route runner. Never really a great separator. Fine. He can be the down the field. Like if I had to pick roles and we think that, We've got a situation where we're going to see a similar offense to what we saw in Buffalo last year with the bowl. Like I would say Galladay is most likely to play more of the role that we saw with a Gabriel Davis, the down the field stretcher. Tony would be the guy if they're, if they're willing to dice it up and say, look, this is our potentially Stefan Diggs, right? He's got to come through and hold his end of the bargain, but the underneath the hitches, the quick slants, all that kind of stuff that Stefan Diggs does I think Tony's perfectly built for that stuff. And then that's why he's, that's why he's going 40 picks ahead of Galladay. But no, I I think it's fair. And even, even though he's going 40 picks ahead of Galladay to potentially have that role, you can start comparing him versus, you know, a bunch of muddled up chiefs guys. And man, these giants wide receivers, even if you do think it's Tony instead of Galladay, that's going to be the number one. We are still talking about one of the, three to five cheapest number one pass game options in all fantasy football. Absolutely. And it could be Galladay, right? And so you can still throw darts at him. Um, but Tony just hits the metrics that we want from a breakout standpoint. Um, I think the reasons Tony face plants is if for some reason we just have to continue to deal with injuries or he pisses off the coaches. And like that's out of our hands. We don't know what's going to happen with that. We can't predict it. But look, Tony, I will say, because Bateman and these other guys go a little bit lower, a little bit above. Like let's say you're sitting there and for some reason you only have two wide receivers, you know, coming into this range and you add Bateman as a third or whatever. Like Tony needs to be a priority because of the upside. The upside for Tony is higher than Renfro because Tony, I think Renfro gives you the better floor because, you know, I think there's just less baggage around Renfro. But the ceiling case is for Tony because he could truly come out and just become the alpha in his offense. Renfro can't do that, right? Renfro's a good player, but he's got he's got blockers. He's on a better team with a better quarterback. But Tony literally could be a 25, 30% target share player in an offense. So you've got to prioritize him, especially if you waited. Just prioritize Tony, period. But especially if you waited at receiver. And then the last one here is Sky Moore. Um, You're hearing more and more good things about him out of Chiefs camp over the last couple of days. But look, I mean, it's just an unsettled pecking order. You can get Sky Moore right now, um, you know, in round 11, you know, of your fantasy drafts. Nobody really knows who he is. And like, he's free. 
And I think he's the best chip right now still to put down on the, obviously Travis Kelsey, but you got to take him in the first <laughs> round, but I would rather take sky more than Juju in the fifth. I'd rather take sky more in the 11th. I would rather take sky more in the 11th than dealing with trying to, you know, take MVS, you know, a round or two earlier. Now to be fair, MVS is going more in the same range as sky more over in home league. So you don't have, he's, he's more doable, right. in that type of format, but I would still pick more, just a guy that was really great on the routes that are most used by NFL teams. You know, the staple routes, you guys can find that over on PFF. It's actually not even behind a paywall. So you can go look it up and you can see, you know, the data that I put together on Sky Moore, a very ready NFL receiver. So those are all great players to go after. Just real quick, opportunistic buys. We're going to leave Thomas out because that's where he was when we didn't know about injury. But Juju Smith-Schuster, and remember folks, opportunistic buys really mean just if they go a little past ADP, we're going to buy them. Not necessarily crazy about them at ADP. Smith-Schuster, it's just the fact that he does at least get to play, you know, uh, in an offense with Patrick Mahomes. He does get to play from the slot. We know he's had a big season in the past. His talent profile has been terrible since his breakout season. That's the if. <laughs> so he comes with baggage. He could be he could be totally cooked. He could totally be cooked. Nobody wanted to sign him, but he's an opportunistic buy. And over in home leagues, he's just a lot more affordable, Ian, than what you got to do over in some of these other formats, um, you know, with Juju. You can get him in the seventh round. He's going in the fifth round over on underdog he's going in the fifth and sixth round over on ffpc and then my fades again it's the seahawks offense again in, in, these players at any certain price like you can still buy lock it i may need to cons i may need to reconsider robert woods like just because like he's not even wearing like a sleeve anymore on his knee so part of this was an older player dealing with injury michael gallup is a fade he's still not practicing um, this might just be the season, Ian, that we look back and think we were just wrong about every injury prediction, right? <laughs> We've already got Godwin off the board, uh, Michael Thomas off the board. If all of a sudden Gallup starts practicing next week, we're going to have to move Gallup back up. But right now I had Gallup as a fade on the idea that he's not playing until November. Like, well, what are we maybe doing the, maybe the nine month thing turns into more of a seven month right, thing, right. you know, Achilles, it wasn't that long ago that ACLs reviewed right. as career Changes. threatening. So, you know, science, man. So, Hey, we, we went through, we, I'm, I'm, the doctors are, are also learning this new stuff. So, you know, don't, yeah. Be and mad. that wasn't a, that wasn't definitely, no, not, no, uh, definitely uh, not a barb thrown at any, I love the work that's being done. I think it's one of the huge areas of fantasy that's taken the biggest step forward. And I love it because I don't know all that stuff. And I like to be able to lean on, you know, an expert and I still will. And I think it, it could either just end up being, you know, something where this was just an anomaly. Right. Um, or it could be something to your point, like maybe things are really changing here. Um, so I think it's just something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. I would just say with Robert Woods, I, I, what's his ceiling outcome? That's man? right. That's the AJ, problem. AJ Brown had the freaking do everything he could to get triple digit targets in this offense. Traylon Burks, getting really good news about him opening up training camp, just being in better shape and it not really being as much of an issue as it was made out to be during OTAs. Like my concern with Robert Woods is also, I don't think I put his over under a rush attempts at like two, man. Yeah. Like I don't, I just don't see him getting those same fly sweep looks in a Titans offense. That's never really done that. AJ Brown could not get rush attempts in this offense. Like he took that one as a rookie against the saints. They gave him a toss on like a reverse and he goes 60 yards to the house and he could barely get one after that. Like, I just think Robert Woods, Bobby trees, he's a better real life player than fancy asset. Like when he went yeah. to the Titans originally to be the number two to AJ Brown, um, even at that point, it was tough for me to be able to see the actual way for him to win. And I get now you take away AJ Brown, Traylon Burks isn't the same definitive number one 
it's just man, a thirty-year-old coming off an ACL and a guy that, yeah, yeah really freaking. He, he hasn't posted. He hasn't posted a two plus yards per route run since two thousand eighteen. That's a long time coming off the ACL. You mentioned thirty years old. Historically, he's only been a twenty to twenty-one percent target per route player, right? Which is a wide receiver two, wide receiver three, in an offense that's going to be run heavy. Right. So I'm with you. And and so, I mean, I wrote that in here, the trifecta of injury, age and historical wide receiver three, you know, um, targets per route run just isn't inspiring. You know, I mean, I think the way that Woods comes through is if Burks completely face plants. But even then, to your point, I don't think the upside is there for where Robert Woods is at in his career. Traylon Burks is still the player I would rather target in drafts. All right, Dwayne, rounds 12 and on. I just want to quickly run yeah, through just hit them. Just your hit targets them. here. Basically, still some good value. I would anticipate some of these guys, you know, creeping up more into the earlier rounds as we get closer and closer to week one. But for now, take advantage. Read that optimal strategy based on start part. Like it's a top. Like I think that's the key. Drafting the upside running backs in this range is preferred in 2022. This is one reason to consider having six wide receivers on your roster before this point. I couldn't agree more. There's a, still a lot of good handcuff value this late in the draft. However, oh, yes. if you need wide receivers, the 12th and 13th rounds are critical. So with that in mind, Jacoby Myers still looking very much as set up as the Patriots number one receiver are getting some nice words out of camp about Devonte Parker. But again, let's chill out on training camp highlights and Hey, Parker's going outside the top 60 wide receivers as well. So I don't think this needs to be a Myers or Devonte Parker thing. It can always be both Rondale Moore, the constant drum beat Dwayne. We've been talking about it all off season and we got another piece like from Cliff Kingsbury uh, literally yesterday that I was tweeting out where once again, Cliff cited the Christian Kirk role and said, yeah, Rondale's going to fill that. We expect him to have a huge role in this offense. So if he said that once, it'd be one thing, but to say it like a legit four separate times all throughout the off season and for it to make sense, I continue to be in on Rondale Moore right there with you. Jahan Dotson, first round pick that is being priced just way beyond, way behind the other first round pick picks has a legit chance to be the number two in this offense. It's, it's funny to me, Dwayne, the, I agree that there is something to be said about wide receivers getting to work more out of the slot, but I, people like, it just seems to break their brains sometimes when we get these reports about it, they don't know whether to say it's a good thing or a bad thing. Like the fact that Jahan Dotson and Curtis Samuel are working into the slot. Like to me, that tells me we're probably going to see more 11 personnel and that both guys have a really good chance of staying on the field more snaps than not. Like if anything, I think if you're being pigeonholed into the slot, like that's more of a negative than a positive. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, and same thing with Kadarius Tony, right? You know, seeing that he's working outside, kicking in some Wandells, really starting, you know, in the slot. Um, the main thing I took away is, well, wow, Kadarius Tony could be on the field all the time if yeah. he's going to get to play outside because a team can mix in 12, 13 personnel. They can do other things. Um, and then that knocks you off the field. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. And folks, remember, a lot of this stuff, when you're playing the outside Z type position and Ian, you know, football, you can talk people through this. Like the X is typically more the vertical field stretcher kind of player um, gets more of the vertical stuff. Now football's changing, like where everyone's doing everything, but Tony, like even if he plays outside as an example, like he's going to work more, you know, underneath, even if he's starting outside, they'll put him in motion, do different things with him. Same thing that we talked about with a few minutes ago with Hunter Renfro. Um, you know, he's a slot receiver, but when he kicks outside, he's still running a lot of the same routes. They do different things to help maneuver them, get them the matchups they want and all those things. So yeah, I think sometimes we, yeah, we like slot, you know, it's better, um, you know, from, from a matchup standpoint, sometimes you get more matchup against zone against linebackers, safeties, and that can help you. But at the end of the day, like 
it, it probably is overreacted to. And so, yeah, with Dotson, I like it. With Rondell Moore, you know, who's also in this uh, tier, I also like it. Tim Patrick talking about him, you know, at length all offseason. Some murmurs from uh, Robert Mays over at The Athletic that maybe Tim Patrick could be looking at a big slot role in this offense. Obviously, we know he is more than capable of working on the outside in two wide receiver sets. Just, again, with a new quarterback, with him already being paid, the discrepancy in ADP between him, Judy, and even Sutton has never made sense all offseason. Jalen Tolbert, potential to start for the, like, Jalen Tolbert's basically new Russell Gage. I mean, we've kind of comped him as this all off season, but the fact that Goblin looks as healthy as he does Gallup still getting back the picture. Tolbert is the guy that could work as the number two option in this offense to start the year. Even once Gallup gets back in the picture, still only sliding back to the number three. So basically you're drafting him. You could argue even below his floor of what he's going to be. Once Gallup gets back in the picture, also, Josh Palmer with the Chargers, arguably the handcuff for both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. And nice early reports out of training camp that he could just seize that number three job all for himself ahead of Jalen Guyton. At this price point, it's worth taking that risk. And finally, Robbie Anderson. Baker Mayfield, yeah, it's the best quarterback of his career, Dwayne. Like other... Uh, I don't want to say Ro- that. Ro- Ro- Robbie, Robbie's an every other year guy. I don't want to. So, uh, <laughs> so this is the year to be on. This is the year to click. Hold on. I want to take that back. I think Baker versus Teddy is legitimately close. I don't want to. Yeah, I agree. At, at this like point, I, I think Baker, you know, is more willing to push the ball down the field, though. That's the difference. Yeah, and yeah. that is what's going to help, you know, Robbie Anderson. Now they could flip roles again. You know, two years ago, DJ Moore played, you know, so the, the vertical stretcher and, and, you know, 180 pound Robbie Anderson was running in, you know, with, you know, trying to you know make crack back plays i don't know what that was but last year it was anderson back to the vertical role dj more more to the intermediate and underneath stuff which is what i think we'll we'll still see so yeah um all these players are fine just the only thing i would note here is remember if you really need a receiver here rounds 12 and 13 like there's a clear drop between what you're getting in 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 12 and 13 you're getting jacoby myers Jahan dotson rondell moore tim patrick 14 and 15, we're talking Devontae Parker, DJ Chark, Van Jefferson, George Pickens, Alec Pierce, Jalen Tolbert. A lot more questions. Those are fine dart throws, but I think in rounds 12 and 13, you can technically still get a player that you could roster as your wide receiver four. You'd rather it be your wide receiver five, but just remember that. these Between round 12 and 13, down to 14 and 15, there's definitely a drop-off in the type of profile that you're going to be dealing with. So if, you, if you're in a position where you need the receiver, you're going to have to probably spend a pick or two in round 12 and 13 um, versus waiting for 14 and 15. And the only challenge there is, again, a, you know, a lot of these handcuffs we love, Daryl Henderson, Ronald Jones, Isaiah Spiller sometimes leaks into round 12. Um, those guys are all going in that range. So, again, be planning ahead in your draft. And really, you know, you probably don't want to have to be taking two in rounds 12 and 13. You're probably going to want at least one of those picks open to do something else. So just remember that. It's going to wrap up this breakdown. No, we went a little bit longer and did a quarterback and running back, but you know what? It's wide receiver. This has always been a deeper position. Takes a little bit more time to get through. Again, you can check we out. We also had pit. a little training camp news we dipped into. So, yeah. That's also true. Again, fantasy football draft strategy. Optimal approach for picking wide receivers in 2022. Available over at PFF.com. As well, the optimal approach for picking tight ends that Dwayne and I will be breaking down this time tomorrow. So, Dwayne, again, great work on all this. Anything else you have up at PFF.com this week? 
Uh, no, the tight end stuff is up. And then obviously I've mentioned it already before, but working on a piece, just looking at like the number one thing we've got to be looking at, you know, or might, might end up being the top two things <laughs> for every team right now in training camp. Like the storylines we need to be following and why they matter the most for fantasy football. I have my top 200 rankings go live on Monday. Also did a quick hitting piece focusing just on Trey Lance after getting the news that Jimmy Garoppolo is in fact, like not even practicing with the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan finally Last year, I wouldn't even say he, if Jimmy G would be alive on Sunday. This year, he is saying that he is that this is Trey Lance's team now. So, was I'm surprised we got that much of a declaration, to be honest. Me too. Like, man. And it's what we needed. It's like he, what we needed because the only concern was, oh my God, are we going to go into the year having with Trey Lance having to look over his shoulder? The upside's always been there. Yeah. But now we know, like, look, they're just, they're going, you know, with Trey Lance. So I, I've got, I moved him up to QB7. There we go. It's time. I talked about being there right alongside with you and just some of the concerns with the yards per attempt. Like since Shanahan got to uh, San Francisco, they've been second in yards per attempt behind only Sean McVay and the Rams on passes thrown behind, you know, quote unquote, thrown behind the line of scrimmage since Debo got there, they're first. So like basically Trey Lance doesn't even need to be a good real life quarterback for him to be the next great fantasy quarterback. Main basis of that story. Also looking at having a little shadow cornerback breakdown later this week spoiler i think uh shadow matchups are overrated in a fantasy football sense but they're still fun and uh even in small sample sizes we can look and see which cornerbacks have been particularly better or worse when under that assignment so keep an eye out for all that but thanks as always for tuning in everyone for Dwayne, i'm ian this has been the pff fantasy football podcast and until next time take care everybody.